0: Hello and welcome to this Drum Network podcast. I'm Nikki McMorrow, the head of the Drum Network, and I am joined by seasoned healthcare marketing experts today to talk about whether disruption in healthcare marketing is reaching its peak. Experts in healthcare have to carefully navigate shifts in this space. Nimble startups, techie offshoots, rising influencers, AI developments and personalized healthcare. It all seems to be the answer to all our health problems, Or is it, what challenges or opportunities does today's global or regional healthcare marketer face in getting their product off the ground, bringing it to market, and keeping it top of mind? What developments should the healthcare CMO be monitoring more closely, leveraging more effectively, or just doing differently? I'm going to ask my experts from Jack Morton, Seven Stones, and Bray Leno to give you the lowdown on what's happening in this space. But first, they're going to introduce themselves. So, Luke, you first.
1: Hi, uh, I'm uh, Luke Cripps. I'm uh, the head of strategy at Seven Stones. We're uh, an independent healthcare agency based out of London, and we focus on the total health spectrum. So, all the way from RX to nutrition at the other end of the spectrum. Excellent. Thank you. And Gemma?
2: Thank you. So I'm Gemma Atkinson-Brown. I'm based at Bray Leno. So we're um, part of the mission group. We've got, again, like Luke, quite a lot of experience in in all manner of healthcare um, clients, all the way from RETS through to OTC, which is kind of our our focus as an agency. Um, And we've recently launched a sort of series of insight and uh, sort of provocations, if you like, which are entirely focused on the changing uh, healthcare landscape particularly post-COVID. So, it's really interesting to, to talk
0: to you guys about that today. Oh, I can't wait to hear more about all of that. And Nigel, how about you? Good morning.
3: I'm Nigel Downer from Jack Health, which is the, uh, the healthcare practice here at Jack Morton. We're a global brand experience agency, and we believe very strongly in the power of brand experiences to create more meaningful relationships between patients, consumers, HGPs, and healthcare brands.
0: Amazing. And you know, an agency is a specialist when they've actually got a part of the agency that is called. That's right. Help. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, good. So, I, d- I can't think of three better people to help me try and dig into this. Um, let's start with the sort of state of the nation or nations, um, I should say, because we have uh, people from the US and the UK on this call. So, um, it's going to be interesting covering both sides of the pond. But what's been going on in recent years, um, changes in the healthcare sector that really affect the whole sector and the way the audience perceives the product and therefore how it gets marketed. Maybe, Nigel, you go first, uh, the state side for you.
3: Yeah, there's, there's, there's a trend that, that I think is really interesting here in the States and, the, and that we've been really watching at Jack Health. And that is what we call the carefication uh, of healthcare marketing. Um, you know, obviously the delivery of healthcare is very different over here than it is, um, you know, in in Europe. And what we're seeing is, you know, the Best Buys, the Instacarts, the Amazons, and some of the providers like CVS and, uh, you know, United Health Group, Cigna starting to get into sort of last mile delivery of healthcare. So what's really interesting is, you know, there's sort of this integration happening. And there's just much more choice for patients and consumers in terms of where they go to get their care, whether it's a telehealth startup, whether they're, you know, going to their CVS Minute Clinic. Some of them obviously are still going to their primary care physician that has taken care of everybody in their family for the last 50 years. But there's just many more choices. And that sort of last mile of care is sort of up for grabs right now with new players in there. And it's, it's really interesting particularly for pharma brands, because, you know, when you think about who owns that relationship and who owns that sort of connectivity to the customer, you know, the pharma brands are sort of falling behind now in that, right? And it could be Amazon or CVS, who's sort of your healthcare provider. So it's just a really interesting thing around how, you know, we've been talking, I think, for years about the consumerization of healthcare, but it's just only speeding up.
0: Really interesting. And I was um, looking at a report from the Future Laboratory, Laboratory just before this. And what really struck me as well was when we say healthcare, I was really thinking, you know, medical healthcare, but it was really going broader into like health and wellbeing and beauty and, um, you know, pharmaceutical products that you can buy that don't have to be described. And, you know, so it kind of blew my mind because um, healthcare seems to be a much bigger sector than perhaps I originally thought. Uh, Gemma. What's your take on uh, what's been going on in, on the UK side for Bray Leno?
2: I think that's a, a really interesting point that you made, Nikki, because I think in, so we um, at Braino, you know, with our sister agency, Solaris Health, did commission quite a big study uh, towards the back end of last year regarding health and well-being, actually, which is the interesting point that you made. And there is an overwhelming sense from consumers and patients um, of sort of mild to moderate to, to very severe and niche conditions that health, there is no hand and in health and well-being essentially it is one big market and actually the complication and complexity comes from retailers such as you know Boots splitting it up in that way or marketers trying to create real distinction where there actually is not much distinction so i guess from our perspective we've been really focused on really trying to understand those changes in consumer attitude which i think there are lots of triggers for you know the the sort of state of the NHS or the impact that is having the changing uh, perceptions around authority in healthcare. So, you know, the, the increasing role of pharmacists, particularly in things such as OTC products, and, and that's, you know, that kind of side of things. So, I think customer, um, consumer, patient attitudes, and the macro environment and impacts that, that and influences that that is having on attitudes and behaviors in healthcare is probably something that we're most concerned about right now, and how we sort of you know, react to that as marketers in this space, from a brand perspective, but also from comms um, and those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, and just to build on that as well, I mean, we've sort of seen that trend sort of change over the last fifteen years at uh, Understands as well. Where originally it was all about the communications with the doctor, and they were king, and that decision was made at that point in time, and you, you couldn't question that kind of decision in some ways, which made our job incredibly easy since we had one target audience, and we had to go speak to them and convince them and Job done sort of thing, but the you know democratization of health means that now everyone's a, a stakeholder and they have their own opinions and actually have a say in how their health and wellness, um, as you said, is is, is thought about, um, yeah, and that sort of dramatically impacts everything that, that that we end up doing as well. So not only from the sort of professional targets that we have to focus on within marketing, we have to think about more and more the end patient. And kind of include them in, in, into our communications and our language too um, which is exciting I mean it means that you know our, our world is expanding kind of exponentially every, every year but um, it does make things incredibly complicated to kind of navigate and find a path through you know, to, to, to reach a decision that actually has a
3: positive benefit. It's interesting to you know to, to add to that there's sort of this odd combination of more sophisticated consumers and patients right they have access to more information and more data than they ever have. But they also have they're completely overwhelmed with the data, right? They don't necessarily know what to do with it. And there's also an incredible amount of misinformation out there as well. Right. So it's this really interesting, you know, combination of I know more or I think I know more, but I'm actually not sure that I do. And then where do I go with that? Yeah. You know, so it's an it's an interesting
1: It is fascinating because I mean COVID is the obvious example that kind of screams out to be there was this wonderful sort of moment within a year where we managed to create a pharmaceutical sort of vaccine, multiple versions of it as well, you know, from nothing within a year, which has sort of never happened in healthcare in that situation as well. But there's almost a flip side of it. It's because there's so much information shared that suddenly it almost got weaponized and, and spun and used in dangerous ways where, yeah, the Astra- AstraZeneca vaccine came out, which had rates which in any other situation for any other condition would have been, you know, through the roof and wonderful people were suddenly going, or I don't want that vaccine because it's not quite as good as the Pfizer one, or something of that nature as well. But actually, you're happy to have a, another vaccine for blue, which has a much, much lower rates of success than that ever would as well. And, and we all had these weird opinions, which certainly from a UK perspective, where we don't have any kind of decision about choosing our drugs necessarily, was really awkward in some ways. And some you know, personal conversations with family members and they're sort of sharing which vaccine they had. I mean, that's ba- that's baffling. That's never happened before, but. Um, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, when did you ever, um, like quibble about the brand name of the drugs that you were prescribed? I mean, maybe it's different in the U S Nigel, um, because maybe you can buy more things over the counter. You don't have to be subscribed. So therefore you choose. Is that the case?
3: Um, I mean, you, you still obviously need to get a prescription right for the, for the RX drugs. Um, but that's always been the game here in the US, right? Is like the the, the point of, of of a lot of the marketing efforts is to get the, you know, get the patient to go to the doctor and ask for a specific brand, right? And and the day, I can't remember the exact data, but the data shows that if you ask for a brand, that's what you get, right? So it's always sort of, you know, everything is about sort of trying to get them to make, make that decision. Um, what's interesting coming out of COVID is, um, you know, whether it's Pfizer or Moderna, you now know who they are, right? Like everybody knew, everybody knew Pfizer before as sort of a blue chip stock, like an IBM, right? This kind of Pfizer, Your top 100 companies, all of that. And nobody knew who Moderna was, but then overnight, everybody knows both of them and they sort of now stand for something. And I think one of, the, one of the really interesting things coming out of that is that you have this sort of now trickle down effect of the other brands in the space. What do they stand for? Right. So the question is like, I know kind of what Moderna stands for. And I know that Pfizer performed miracles in under a year, right? To, to get a vaccine out. But what is this, you know, other brand? What do they stand for? And I think that's a challenge for CMOs. Um, when they're, when they're trying to connect with consumers, when they're trying to connect with, I think HGPs on a personal level and, and especially their own employees, you know, one of the things that is interesting is there was a big sort of halo effect around pharma you know, over the last two year or two, and it's all gone already. Right. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, pharma companies are right-sizing and there's layoffs and things like that. So I think even internally trying to motivate their own employees, CMOs and, 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 um, and leadership need to think about that. And what is it that their brand stands for? And what's interesting mm-hmm. is when you look at the new, you know, sort of newer entrance in the, in the space, like in Amazon, they they always stand for making it easy, right? It's easy to order. It's easy to yeah. get your TV show, but everything's about ease and, and sort of, you know, greasing the skids so you can get to what you need to. And that's what they're doing with their, you know, their new model here. I read the other day that you can now get access to one medical, which is the company they bought with your prime membership for 99 bucks a year. Right. So, and again, they're trying to make it easier, right. In this situation where, you know, if I called my primary doctor today, I would get an appointment like, 30 days from now, maybe. But with this, if I'm a prime member, I can get an appointment today or tomorrow, which is really interesting from an access perspective. Yeah.
2: I think that's really interesting, um, Nigel, from a, you know, something that the, the study has sort of picked up on and is widely reported in, in lots of studies is this sort of sense of trust now. Like, who is the authority yeah. in some of these conditions or some of these, um, you know, different sectors of healthcare? Whereas it used to be yeah. primary care, you know, you can see from things like the PHIN, so the Private Healthcare Information Network, the, the, pe- the amount of people that are now using uh, in the UK some private healthcare you know to to sort of add on to the the n h s care that they get as well, so there is this sense of um you know it's not as simple as problem solution anymore there's a lot more talk there's a lot more justification, a lot more sort of sense of purpose and and sort of your role in in people's lives i think that needs to be given but also there is an active seeking for for trust you know who am i supposed to ask about this thing if i can't get an appointment who's next um could it be a healthcare professional and a pharmacist or do i just do it myself you know there's a rising self sufficiency isn't there given that all the data mm-hmm. but that also comes with a a sort of emotional pull of I don't know really what to do with all this data now that I've got it and I'm just freaked out. So I think that there's a, you know, there's quite, there's almost a bigger job for for healthcare marketing to do now to help navigate what is becoming an increasingly complex space, I think.
0: Mm, yeah. I mean, if they could own, um, I'm sure some pharmaceutical companies are working on that, but own the actual the sort of consumer relationship, which has typically sort of had some kind of an intermediary, a doctor or pharmacist. Uh, let's talk about influencers as well, because that's really relevant to trust. I worked on a few healthcare brands um, doing strategy and really influencers was a big sticking point. Like who can you get who is trustworthy enough to represent this really important, sometimes life or death offering? So what's happening with influencers? Because everywhere, you know, we, we report on the rise of the influencer all the time at the drum, but what's what are the sort of... um typical qualities of a good healthcare influencer and are they increasing is the quality and quantity increasing is it easy to do or is it still a real problem
1: i mean i think the simple answer to this is that they've always been there we've just called them something different they've been key, key opinion leaders you know in healthcare every pharma company has their network of um, doctors who, who um, are driven to, risen to a certain level who, who can spread that influence as well because for a doctor to reach a new decision on how to treat a new patient, as well, you know, there's all this new product coming out from us, sort of pushing information as well. And they need people to turn to, and they've always turned to their fellow peers to kind of lead that information as well. So the new marketing language is influencers, but pharmaceuticals has been calling that for years. I think made the difference now is is how they're having to kind of communicate that. In the past, it was through conferences and through kind of sort of seminary, uh, seminar meetings and, and things like nature as well. But certainly with social channels, you know, you kind of get more kind of digital savvy ones and sort of millennials who are more maybe sort of, um, sort of um, digital natives, as it were, sort of are more willing to kind of embrace that medium too. So nothing's fun, nothing's changing in terms of the rise and the growth of them necessarily, but I think how they communicate to their wider audience is now pivoting a bit more over the course the more sort of digital social channels as well.
2: Yeah, I think to that point, Lucas, also there's a, there is there seems to be a changing uh, way that they're being used. Um, Because I think that, you know, it's not necessarily to give advice, but it can be used as a a sense of authority. It can be used as a sense of, you know, justifying a a certain position or a proposition or credibility. I think, you know, particularly for brands in the OTC space, it's quite difficult to find a typical influencer that isn't also being used by a million other brands. I think that that's something that (laughs) is going to become a challenge. And also, you know, a macro trend of just wanting that authenticity is is coming into play as well. Of you know, is this just a paid influencer deal? In which case, how much should I trust what these guys are saying? Are they just gonna, you know, they're being paid to to sell the product? So I think that there is a an increasing need to clarify the role of the influencer that you're using and and why it is that person or that you know accreditation or whatever it might be,
1: especially when you're talking about health, which is such a you know, hot topic and dangerous thing to kind of give people health advice that can have real consequences as well, at that point.
0: Yeah, it really can. I mean, my mum gave me um because I'm nearly fifty, so my mum gave me a book on the menopause. <laughs> and it's written by Mariella Frostrop, not a medical expert in any sense of the word. And um, uh, but but she's acting as an influencer in that space. Um, it was even signed, Thanks Mum. <laughs> 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 and Mariella, thanks to you too. But um, you know, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just can't stop these people becoming influencers and maybe it's not always a positive thing. You know, maybe a brand, a uh, medical brand doesn't want certain messages to be spread about their, about their products as well. I mean, is does this have to be monitored? Is it, um you know, monitored incredibly carefully or haphazardly? Um, Nigel's nodding. So I'm going to pounce on him.
3: <laughs> yeah, I am not. Yeah, no, I'm nodding. I mean, I mean cert- certainly on the Prescription drug side of things, it's monitored extremely carefully. Um, And brands have, you know, I think some of the more forward looking brands have relationships with what I would call non traditional influencers, right? So not necessarily the KOLs, but some patient influencers and some lifestyle influencers who may have some relation to, you know, that particular uh, disease state. And it is, um, you know, certainly very tightly regulated and all goes through the typical MLR and all that. What's really a challenge, um, is the speed, right? Like from, from an agency perspective, we have to be able to now work at the speed that that group works at. And, and that group works at a very fast speed. So like what is they want to talk about today is dead news by tomorrow, you know? So like if you can't work at that kind of speed, it becomes difficult to leverage them effectively. Um, so that's, that's, I think a nuance that, you know, not a lot of, I think, pharma brands can move that fast. I think it's a little, it's you know, certainly slightly easier for some of the OTC and and wellness brands um, that are more like consumer brands. But it is a a challenge to work at that speed. I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the I guess the positive side of this for us as kind of marketers and strategists is we can finally kind of access like a rich vein of insight. You know, I think in healthcare it's always been a nightmare. Um, we don't have the options that sort of the more consumer side sort of strategists have in terms of accessing insights into your customer base or end user base. Um, but at least now that you have these kind of rise of health influences and people who are talking about normally things like chronic conditions and and lifelong and, and more longer term conditions, um, you know, they're willing to share their stories as well. And, and for us, this is sort of manner from heaven because we can actually finally understand exactly what they need, want, and how we can kind of better serve them too as well. So our role is certainly getting, I think, a little bit easier now as well because we don't have to sort of pen and spay. Um, pay thousands of, and thousands of, thousands of pounds to market research companies and wait 10 months for, for an insight report, we can just do some social listening and get some really rich veins of, of insight that can drive our campaigns more effectively as well. So that's the positive side for, for you know, I see for marketeers and, and something that Seven Stones is really trying to embrace.
2: Mm. I think, Luke, to that point, and kind of what you said at the beginning, Nikki. I think that there's a real listening to people that have earned that authority in that space of, you know, parenting is a good one, isn't it? They're not necessarily qualified in kids' health or anything like that, but they are parents and actually people are gravitating towards just the real, realistic view of parenting. Um you know, warts and all, rather than a a pediatrician who could tell you actually about your child's health. I think that there's a really different, coming back to that point about understanding the role, I think it's, you know, again, what are you using them for? What And if it's relatability, that possibly would take you down one angle, but if it's expert advice and support, that would certainly be a different angle. And I think there tends to be, or certainly in the data that we've got, we can see that influencers aren't necessarily having a strong impact on purchase, but they are definitely having an impact on, you know, brand familiarity and um, affinity and those sorts of things. So there definitely the seems appearance. to be, a, yeah, exactly, a swing towards that more sort of authentic, you know, view of, of the ailment or the condition or the, or the situation rather than
0: promoting a product, mm-hmm. for example. Indeed. Um, so we've sort of covered a lot actually already. What about the ethical considerations? Have some of the recent developments in the industry had an impact on the ethical considerations, you know, all this misinformation, all this kind of need for trust, people being spokespeople, whether you want them to or not, the need for speed, but legislation is holding you back. Um, Does this sort of play into the moral or the ethical side of the healthcare marketing role?
3: Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's interesting in that it just increases sort of the burden on, on us as, as agencies and with our client partners um, to provide education at the end of the day, right? We, we need to, you know, I touched on before that there's more information and there's sort of this odd combination of more sophisticated uh, patients, but this overwhelming amount of information. So I think the burden then becomes ours to, to help them sort through that and provide the tools in order to do that. And that's not wildly inconsistent with where we've come from. It's just much more complicated than it no. ever has been before.
1: Yeah, because you're always living within a situation of sort of shades of grey, where you, you know you kind of push a certain sort of gender point and get something paid for a product a new product which might be more expensive than the last. And suddenly you're I mean, talking about incremental gains in, in, in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, is is, is the is, is the juice worth the squeeze in that situation? I mean, is that cost justified? And you know, what's the long term effect to sort of someone embracing something like this as well? you know, all the weight gain dro- uh, weight loss drugs sorry, that you see now available, you know, there's a huge sort of ethical situation in terms of how much access do we allow this to, to be as well. And, and I think this comes into a point you might want to talk about later on, but the sort of ex- equitability of access in terms of the company can't produce the stuff fast enough until they're having to ration it. And actually it's only sort of maybe the richer people who can get access to it, where actually maybe the need, when it comes to things like sort of weight, is, is, is maybe more skewed towards the lower socioeconomic sort of groups too. So there's always this challenge of if you keep on pushing this topic and, and you might end up sort of causing a, a, a disparity in the balance over the course of it as well. So it, it's, it's always a challenge. Um, it's, it's, it's not new. It's just now, like I said, it's probably just happening at a faster pace as well, so which we need to keep track of.
2: Yeah. I think one other thing, uh, probably from a more attitudinal perspective, is that, um, again, from our our findings and widely reported in other reports as well, there is a real, people's health ambitions are quite humble. Uh, You know, they're not looking for for miracle cures often. And actually, you know, the desire for using most healthcare products is either freedom from a a type of illness, whether it's anything from a cough to eczema to, you know, something more severe, or mental stability, or some sense of normality and stability throughout their life. And I think... One thing that I think we need to be mindful of is that we're not over-promising all of the time, which, you know, when you look at some communications in healthcare, we get so, you know, we're, we're looking for that killer claim or that one product benefit or that, you know, we're better than everybody else. But actually in doing that, there's a race to the top. And when you stand back and think, I've just promised someone that they can now climb a mountain and all they wanted was to get rid of a headache, it, it starts to it starts to lose its credibility a bit. So I think that there is a, it's not strictly in the ethical question, but I think that there is a sense of, you know, in particularly um, triggered by COVID, people are more proactive about their health. They're, they're sort of thinking about what they want out of it. And it's actually just to be to be well, you know, to, to not have yeah. this thing. So I think we need to be mindful, particularly when you stray into things like mental and emotional health, that we're not over-promising and we're not creating a sense of anxiety around whatever it is that we're promoting and those sorts of things. So I think that that is something that we're quite certainly at Bray Lane are quite mindful of now you know looking at, at the findings that are coming out in that sense. yeah
1: and, and there's something very interesting the fact that like you know some things that like our client base has changed in the last few years where we've got a lot more you know companies who are probably more kind of consumer orientated, moving into the wellness space um, and they sort of demand to see kind of the normal kind of consumer sort of creative campaigns with clear benefits as well and actually our role has to be to kind of almost remind them actually they're now in a very different sort of space and actually have to sort of talk and toe that line because it's not just so that they get sued, it's also for that ethical consideration too that we don't do any harm to to the end users too. So actually our role as as agencies now becomes a little bit more in terms of kind of helping guide them and help them understand exactly how, how to navigate this new space that they're moving into.
0: Fantastic. I'm thinking about the CMO who's listening to this now. And uh, And we have covered loads already. We talked a lot about the brand and the purpose, um, not over promising, making the product easier to use, maybe having a closer relationship with the consumer. we haven 't really touched on the platforms or the way the channels of distribution for the messaging and i'm just wondering if you can give any advice for the listener on the key platforms in today 's healthcare landscape compared to maybe how they were a decade ago. Is it very focused on sort of B2B and official outlets and the news? Or, you know, do you think that social actually is an effective platform and, and what else is there?
1: I mean, the sort of language that always gets thrown around now, you know, when I first started, it was, everything was done through reps with a little bit of kind of email attached and a few brochures and things. And suddenly people spoke about digital, digital, and it was multi-channel and now the language is omni-channel because I think they're remembering actually that we shouldn't forget that the most powerful vessel to communicate is is still more or less the conversations that the reps have as well. Certainly, we're having to kind of weave more kind of um, careful narratives across the different social channels, across different platforms as well. You know, there's a whole network of of, um, forums and groups that sort of doctors can kind of communicate on and share their kind of sort of case studies as well that we can sort of sensitively be part of too. So yeah, so I mean, really it's, I mean, every company that we speak to now, it, it's all about on the channel, thinking about the levels of communication you've ever gone and realizing that actually, you know, you're never going to make a doctor kind of reach a healthcare decision, you know, which has such wide ramifications and just one interaction. So it's about kind of making sure that your messages tell that story and keep on kind of communicating with them and, and move them along the adoption ladder to, to the end to the end goal. So there's not really one channel. I mean, you know, victims like kind of rising importance because you can target like job titles you can be a bit more direct with your comms but um yeah i, I think it's more just the ethos and trying to find find the right sort of way for the right audience to speak into at that time
0: mm. nigel what's your take on this um is it the same in the us or totally
2: different?
3: yeah no I, I would say it's the same in the us i mean um you know omni channel is is certainly still where everybody starts from a marketing perspective Um, I think, you know, where you place your bets within that, you know, it shifts depending on, you know, your, your focus areas and therapeutic areas. Um, what's interesting for us at Jack Health is we're sort of a new addition to the omni-channel mix, right? When you think about most healthcare brands, they haven't historically had, you know, a strong sort of brand experience and live event strategy, right? They sort of pull together their, their campaign and, oh, by the way, we have to show up at this trade show and, you know, they build a great booth or whatever it might be. But it's not always well integrated into an overarching strategy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things we see as a, as an opportunity, um, both on the professional side with with physicians as well as, you know, with with patients and consumers is to, you know, to build these experiences into your strategy, right? Whether it's a brand act, whether it's a sponsorship activation, your brand needs to stand for something and needs to make a connection, right? And often we've got wonderful, you know, um, campaigns. And when we get people in a room together, they're not actually brought to life, you know? So it's one element, right, of of an omni-channel strategy, but that's one piece we think we bring in um, and are very excited about sort of amplifying, right? Because I think when you think about what resonates with people sort of outside, the other sort of 95% of their life where they're not necessarily thinking about their health, you know, they're thinking about, you know, who was the sponsor of the game I went to or, you know, who had that cool competition at the concert, whatever, like the, the activity that sort of made them feel something, you know, so that, that's, that's what, what we're trying to bring. And I think that's a great opportunity and, and it only works well when it's integrated into the other elements of the campaign. It can't be a standalone. It has to be part of the Omnichannel.
1: Yeah. And I guess, I mean, from opposite to some sense, like we, we just try and keep it simple because I think... In the last few years, there's been this danger amongst marketers to kind of make these incredibly complex ecosystems, which try and target multiple different kind of target segment audiences as well. And when you're trying to sort of deliver that, and quite often we're working with global clients, you know, the differences between how Denmark can do things versus how sort of um, Germany versus the UK can, it just breaks down entirely. So actually, people are now moving towards just let's do a few things really, really well. Have them connecting that right experience as well. And, and, and as Nigel just said, just, just make them impactful and make them sort of really, really safe.
2: I think that's really important, Luke, because I think there's, there's a really... Um, the people you're talking to are humans and they probably have multiple ailments and they've also got many other brands not in healthcare talking to them at the same time. So I think that there is just this, you know, there are many, 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 many ways and many channels, many platforms that we could use to talk to people but really, understanding which ones are going to be most meaningful, in which sense, is is kind of critical now because it's 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 messy. The customer journey is messy in healthcare, um, and even if you work through the traditional kind of funnel, that awareness is is so broad now. You know, as we've spoken about today, that you just need to work. I think you know, my advice would just be research. <laughs> I find out what's going to be most meaningful, and then and then act upon it accordingly and, and have a long-term view as well not just a, a short-term reactive one because I think channels go some way but you know to what Nigel was saying having an overarching strategy and making sure that you're understanding people as much as them as patients or, or consumers is, is really
3: important
1: yeah 100% spending spending money wisely
3: Yeah. It's funny. We think of it, um, at Jack health, we always talk to our clients about the must win moments, right? So not necessarily like what channels are you going to invest in, but what, what moments this year are the most important to you for like, from a brand perspective and how do you win them? Right. And that sort of changes the conversation a little bit instead of focusing on well, which channels are we betting on? It's like, like, what do we need to do to win these moments? So that's a kind of flip to it. Mm
0: -hmm. I really like that. Um, okay. So let's, uh, because we've been all around the place, let's wrap it up um, with a key takeout for the CMO listener. Let's say they've just started a new healthcare company and they've got to devise their strategy for next year. Um, what is your top tip for that CMO?
1: I mean, know your audience and, and make it make it last, and just focus everything on, on that insight about that audience as well. Start from genuine insight, build around, build everything around that audience, and give them what they need. Um, don't force your own agenda on them. Try and find a way of, of, of marrying theirs with yours, and, and, and talk to them the fashion that resonates.
3: I'll build on that because I think what, what 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 I'm about to say you can't do unless you do what you what you suggested, Luke. Right? Um, and, and my advice would be stand for something. Like have your brand stand for something. And you can't do that based on what you think. You have to do that based on what your audience thinks. Right? So if you don't do all the work that Luke just said, you can't really stand for something. So that would be my advice: stand for something.
0: Yeah, thanks, build. Love that, Gemma. The cherry on top.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, those guys stole what I was going to say, but um, <laughs> I think I think you know it's, it's linked to both of those points. And I think the one thing that is becoming really apparent is 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 kind in the changing face of authority in healthcare. And I think that's something that really, really to be mindful. You know, and it will differ between sector and subsector and product type and how far into the healthcare journey you are, what you're suffering with and all of those sorts of things. But understanding the role um, of different people, bodies, uh, healthcare professionals in whichever sector you're in is is kind of critical as well, I would say.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, My three experts have really uh, blown my mind, told me lots about healthcare and wellbeing um, that I didn't know. Um, So know your audience Stand for something and be aware of the changing face of authority are our key takeouts from today. Thank you for listening to this Drum Network podcast. I've been Nikki McMorrow with guests from Jack Morton, Ray Leno and Seven Stones. Come again soon. Bye.